Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is People Every Day. Coming up, more dramatic details from the Sex and the City reboot and Just Like That, and a Kimye update. Plus, the scoop on West Side Story from our movies editor and a verdict in the Jesse Smollett case. It's December 10th. And just like that, it's Friday. I couldn't help but wonder, why is Zoe hosting the show in Janine's place? Sorry, guys. I guess I'm just in Carrie Bradshaw mode. Anyway, hi, everyone. I'm Zoe Ruderman, in for Janine Rubenstein, and this is People Every Day. In just a little bit, we're going to talk about And Just Like That and some of the drama from the first couple episodes. Don't worry. We will give you fair warning for any spoilers. But first, let's run through some of the big headlines. On Thursday, a jury found Jesse Smollett guilty of staging his own hate crime and making a false police report. Back in 2019, the Empire actor who was gay and black was charged with disorderly conduct for making false reports. He had told police that he was the victim of a racist and homophobic attack in the early morning hours in Chicago, and prosecutors alleged that he had staged the attack for media attention. Meanwhile, across the country in L.A., Kanye West turned more than a few heads when he made yet another public plea for Kim Kardashian to come back to him. So he was performing in concert, singing Runaway, and after he sang the lyrics, I need you to run right back to me, baby, he added, more specifically, Kimberly. And in case you're wondering, yes, Kim was in the audience, along with her kids, North and Sane. And considering she's still going strong with Pete Davidson, somehow I don't see Kimberly running back to Kanye anytime soon. And we have got more to dive into. Phew, it is a busy news day today. Joining me to talk about a few more stories is Charlotte Triggs. Charlotte, now, you know I'm going to force you to talk about And Just Like That, right? Are you ready for it? Oh, yes. Absolutely. Yes, I watched it yesterday. Yes, I did too. Okay, I'm glad we're going to dive into that. But before we go there, I want to start off with another story that we talked a lot about this morning in our meeting, and that's Alec Baldwin's return to public life. So last night, he was the master of ceremonies at the Ripple of Hope Awards Gala, um, hosted by the Robert F. Kennedy Human Rights Nonprofit. And earlier this week, he and Ilaria also got some shade for her Instagram posts of them prepping for the holidays and kissing under the mistletoe. So this time last week, People Every Day was recapping his, his lengthy sit-down with ABC about the deadly shooting on the set of Rust. So I'm curious kind of what you make of this, I don't know, can I call it an about-face or this change in tactic? It's really interesting because, um, I don't know, you you guys heard me on here last week. I was very much, I don't want to say an Alec apologist, but I was very much like impressed by the work that he did in that interview sure. to kind of um, really get people to understand 
where he was coming from, what was happening. And um, I was shocked when we got this invitation to this gala that he was going to be emceeing. Um, but, you know, okay, sure, it's a charity gala. Then I saw his wife posted this Instagram of him kind of like sucking her face, which, and it's not just a cute kiss under the mistletoe. It's like a, a weird open mouth, sloppy, slobbery looking kiss. Like, I'm just really being very blunt. No, and actually, I'm glad you're stuff. describing like, it since this is audio, but everyone should go look at the Instagram so they can form their own opinion. But you're right. It's not sort of like, you would not put this on the Christmas card that you're sending out to no. family. Let's put it that way. No, it's not. It's like, um, and there was no, you know, up until then, I think that they'd been being very cautious to kind of always have, if they've posted something on Instagram, they've had like a deeper message, like why they're sharing it. Like they posted themselves all dressed up for Halloween yep. one week after this happened. But with the message that I was convinced of, like that they're really trying to pull it together for the kids they're trying to find joy against the backdrop exactly. of this tragedy. And I'm with you. I was totally, I, I got it. I understood it. And I thought, of course, this is like, he is trying to keep it together for his many kids. And that's a very fair thing. I agree. This Instagram felt like it's hard to apply that same justification. Yeah. And it felt like very much like they turned the page and now they're they're going about their business. And then she posted this video basically complaining about, you know, PTSD and saying that like the people want too much from them, blah, blah, blah. I don't, I don't know. It's like her going off doesn't seem tone, tone appropriate to me. Yeah. So let's actually read her statement. What she said is, now my husband is suffering from PTSD right now. It's something that's not just from what happened recently, but he's been suffering from this for a very, very, very long time. Um, and she actually added that the media and, quote, the trolls want to poke at him. So Charlotte, you and I, you know, we work in this industry. We understand the idea of like crisis PR. Do you want to just talk a little bit about for listeners who might not know what that means, like when crisis PR is brought in. And sometimes I think we see the shift of when celebrities stop following the advice of their crisis PR. Not that we know that that's what's happening here, but how does that all work? Well, he actually didn't have that for this. He actually didn't bring it on, which is interesting because he, for years and years and years, actually did have somebody on retainer who was a specialist in that. We know that he actually just booked that interview with George Stephanopoulos straight with George because they're Hampton's friends, they right. know each other, you know what I mean? And I'm sh he obviously has lawyers that he's working with, but his actual publicist is not uh, somebody whose primary focus is crisis at this point. I, I feel like they, they kind of marked the interview on ABC as like a moment in time and then afterwards started kind of getting back to normal. And we do know that he, you know, he said in the interview that he has a project for January that he kind of tried to get out of it by hinting to them, like, you can replace me if you want, but that he, you know, you sign a contract, you sign a contract. You, you have sure. to fulfill it. But we had heard at the beginning of this that he had intended to take a step way back and not do anything for a while. And that seems to have changed. Well, it'll be interesting to watch the entire family and to watch sort of the next step in his career arc and see what happens. Obviously, a really tragic story and, you know, hard not to talk about any of these things without thinking about the victim. But the psychology is just really fascinating. Um, now it is time to talk about and just like that, um, the new Sex and the City reboot, it premiered on HBO Max yesterday. It immediately had everyone talking. A lot of spoilers were out there. Um, there's at least one major company weighing in on a plot twist involving one of the main characters. If you haven't watched yet, go watch and then listen to this or fast forward a few minutes while we talk about it. Um, but before then, here is a spoiler free, I'm going to say it again, no spoilers in this recap to get you started. 
Here are the five biggest takeaways. One, relax. Samantha is not dead. She's in London after having a falling out with Carrie and the rest of the women. Basically, Carrie fired Samantha as her book publicist due to a downturn in the publishing industry. And in Carrie's words, Samantha then fired her as a friend and moved abroad. Samantha has been ignoring all of the women's attempts to connect, so there's a little nugget of some reconciliation later on. Two, yes, love conquers all, and Carrie is still with Big in their lavish apartment. Three, Carrie is now an Instagrammer and podcaster about sex and relationships. Four, all those polarizing topics the original show ignored are now fully getting addressed, from sexual orientation and racism to an even uncomfortable white savior moment featuring Miranda. Five, get your tissues out because there's a big twist at the end of episode one that will leave you feeling all the feels. That was People's Michelle Corison. Okay, now we are going to get into spoilers. Full disclosure, we're spoiling it. We're talking about the big thing. I'm telling you, I'm waving my hands. You can't see me. There's spoilers. Stop listening if you have not watched yet and if you care about spoilers. Charlotte, we've watched, let's just say it, the big spoiler Mr. Big. big yeah, the big, <laughs> capital B, big. Um, Mr. Big dies of a heart attack at the end of yep. episode one. So this was really surprising to some people, not so shocking to others. When we first heard about this show, we did hear that Carrie was going to be single again. Obviously, we didn't know why that would be. Were they going to get divorced? Had something? Had they already gotten divorced? We knew he was in it. We know he was at the premiere. We know that Chris Noth was a part of the production. I think some people did predict that maybe there was a death. Were you surprised? No, I mean, no, not at all. I think we've known this for years because when there was supposed to be a third movie, that was going to be the plot of the movie. It was going to be that he dies of a heart attack at the beginning and then she has to start over. So obviously they, you know, I saw people, the second that the the full trailer came out and there was a a sliced, a little moment spliced in there of him on the Peloton, everybody was like, oh, well, he's going to die on the Peloton, right? Yeah, it's interesting. So let's talk about how he died for those of you who've watched. Obviously, you know now. So he early in the episode, he's talking about getting on the Peloton. He's talking about how he has this favorite instructor, Allegra. He's about to go on his thousandth ride and Carrie's going off to see Charlotte's daughter perform at a piano recital. They're really building up that this is good. Like it almost felt wistful to me. There was this moment where he's leaning against the glass window and he's smoking his cigar and he's looking at her and she's wearing her shoes from the wedding. And it all felt this like, like a crescendo of emotion. I was like, oh, he's going to die on the Peloton. That's when I knew. And I'm impressed that you knew even from the trailers. I thought I was good. Right? <laughs> I pegged it then. But yeah, it was, it was really dramatic. And I don't know about you, but I found this scene where she's in the shower, in her clothes, slipping out of her wedding shoes, you know, huddled over him. Like, I actually found that really emotional, even if I had predicted that it was going to happen. Well, I like straight up knew what was going to happen and I was crying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like really sad. I don't know because uh, whatever. It's like, obviously, this is a show that even if it's kind of fanciful and a little bit silly, it does hit on like relatable yes. things. But let's talk for a second about um, the Peloton of it all. So, Charlotte, you have a Peloton. I have a Peloton. We are both very pro-Peloton people. Let's just put it out there. Um, The first thing I thought is how does Peloton feel about this? And they didn't actually know it was going to be part of the storyline. Is that right? 
Yeah, well, so obviously they freed up their talent to be in the movie, or not movie, series. Um, Jess King, yes. uh, who's a very popular instructor, she plays Allegra. They didn't know how it was going to be incorporated into the storyline. And apparently the production actually bought the bike themselves. So it's possible that they thought, okay, sure, she's going to be on there. But like, we, they didn't know that he was going to like drop dead after doing their exercise. And obviously having something portrayed in a negative light on such a broadly seen um, highly talked about thing is going to be a weird PR moment for them. I mean, you hearken back to the This Is Us and the Crock-Pot. Yes. And yeah. the the production there, they had to do kind of almost a bit of a make good by doing a Super Bowl commercial where he was like cooking the chili in the Crock-Pot and being like, it's not your fault, Crock-Pot. Like, you're awesome. And to like Which make it up makes to it them. worse. I'm sorry. <laughs> like I know. Uh, that was actually... Worse. Kind of funny. I mean, they like sort of turned it around. But in this case, I think that the people at Peloton are probably like, what the heck is this? Right. So we know that in his statement to the Los Angeles Times, a spokesperson for the company said they were surprised and saddened by the news of Mr. Big dying. I just love that they talked about it like he's a real person and not a character. Yes. I felt like well, at least they're watching and they're invested in the show. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk, too, about like his age. And that remember in the original series, he had a heart attack and it was very serious. So there's this doctor quoted speaking about Big's extravagant lifestyle. So who is this doctor and what did she say exactly? This is somebody on the Peloton advisory board named Dr. Susan Steinbaum. And um, it's hilarious. Like you said, they're they're treating it like it's a real person, but I guess the stakes are high. You know, the shareholders are going to be wondering if the stock prices dip here. So she, she basically said, you know, that Big was having a lot of alcohol, cigars, steaks, like, you know, this, these are contributing factors more so than cardiovascular activity. <laughs> and that like the Peloton probably extended his life and helped him delay this cardiac event that was inevitable because of all of the like overindulging that he was doing in other and other areas of his life, which, you know, there's lots of evidence for that throughout the series and the movies. She's not wrong. I just love that some assistant somewhere had to go back and watch the episodes and figure out the season when he had the heart attack so that a doctor yeah. who went to medical school could reference a fictional heart attack on a TV show. Been there, done that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Charlotte. Thanks, Zoe. Next up, movies editor Nigel Smith takes us inside the new West Side Story. Hey everyone, I'm Sid Evans, editor-in-chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. We are back and I'm very excited about this next topic. Tonight, tonight. 
the new West Side Story movie is out. Actually, today, today, but I'm not going to sing it again. This is Steven Spielberg's remake of the 1961 hit film, but this time they're doing things a little bit differently. Now, I have not seen it yet because I am not as cool as our next guest who had early access to the movie. So Nigel Smith, People's Movie Man, is here with me. Hi, Nigel. Hey. Thank you. I guess I'm I'm so cool. I saw it a couple of weeks ahead of it helping. Well, now you're just bragging. You guys should know that I sent Nigel a text and I said, on a scale of one to you're crazy, what are the chances of getting a screener? And re- his reply was, you're crazy. So that's why I still haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> but I'm really excited. I love this Broadway production. I love the original movie as problematic as it is. And I acknowledge that it is problematic. I have heard that it is incredible. Please tell me that's true. Oh my gosh, it's incredible and then some. I mean, this is Steven Spielberg directing his first ever musical and he just hits it out of the ballpark, probably as expected. The visuals are just bar none. The way that he films a choreographed dance number is exhilarating. And it's obviously such a beautiful love story for our time. So I really can't recommend this movie highly enough. I want to talk a little bit about some of the headlines we're seeing. Um, And the original West Side Story, like I mentioned, has been criticized quite a bit um, for false cultural representation. I think there were a lot of eyes on Steven Spielberg because of that. Can you speak a little bit to like how the focus that it's getting and the criticism of the first movie? Yeah, for sure. I, well, the criticism of the first movie is that a lot of the the Puerto Rican um, characters in the film were not played uh, by Latinx performers. And Steven Spielberg obviously wants to course correct that with this film. I was a little trepidatious just because I thought it would be more exciting to have a, a Latinx filmmaker behind uh, the camera for this film, but he uh, he actually did a fantastic job in casting this, and he, he's been doing a lot of interviews leading up to the release of the film, talking about how he made it a mandate from the very beginning to strive to do the best they possibly could in terms of casting from Latinx countries. Um, he was quoted as saying that I wasn't going to entertain any auditions that aren't descended from parents or grandparents or are themselves from Latinx countries. And he stuck to that mandate and he cast um, a lot of unknowns. Rachel Zegler is our lead Maria in the movie. Uh, Her mother, uh, I believe, is of Colombian descent. And um, she is incredible in her first ever role. I'm so excited about this. And tell me about the romance and the chemistry on screen. Well, the romance and the chemistry is there. So you have Rachel Zegler in her first ever role, and uh, she's spectacular as Maria. Then you have Ansel Elgort as the leading man, and they are a very, very good-looking duo. They look incredible on screen. They both sound beautiful. And be real with me, Nigel. Is he great in this? Am I going to love him after okay. this? Okay. So I'll be perfectly real. Um, He was my only um, negative critique in the film. That was the only thing that kind of took me out of the film a little bit was his, uh, they had to change the key of some of the songs. They had to lower it a little bit. And he can dance, right? Let's give it to him. He can dance. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, he has an entire number where there's actually little singing and it's just him dancing and he does a pretty great job. But next to Rachel, she kind of blows him out of the water, even though it's her first movie. And before I let you go, award season predictions? I This is a late contender. It didn't premiere at any festival. There was no buzz going into uh, award season regarding this, this movie based on you know what's been going on so far. But wow, it really hit the ground running. And because of all the, the technical nominations that are available to it, I think this film could rack up the most nominations of any film this year. Because, I mean, you got costumes, you got cinematography, you got score, you got sound, you got 
Rachel, who is, uh, I think, a shoe in for Best wow. Actress. You got Ariana for Best Supporting. And then you also have uh, Rita Moreno, who uh, returns to the film in a different role this time. And I think she is a real contender for Best Supporting as well. And picture, director, you name it, the movie's got it. That was People's Nigel Smith with his take on West Side Story, which is in theaters. And now, something to make you smile, or maybe just something to make you hungry. I recently spoke to Top Chef star Padma Lakshmi for my podcast, Me Becoming Mom, about her long journey to motherhood and her pregnancy. And of course, I had to ask her about her cravings. So her weirdest craving? Mustard. And not the fancy kind either. Listen to just how intense that craving was. I remember being up by Central Park, and I just walked across the street, and I ordered two hot dogs because (laughs) I knew I wasn't going to be satisfied with one and I doused it with a ton of mustard and relish. She also told me she would order a pizza, rip the top off the box, rest it on her belly and eat the entire thing. Sounds like a dream meal to me. Have a great weekend watching and just like that or West Side Story and hopefully eating some pizza. 